You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, good morning. If you can uh, find your way back to your seats, please. Uh, Pastor Trevor is not here this Sunday. He's in Ontario preaching, so keep him in your prayers. So I'll be uh, filling in for him. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tony, um, and I do help with uh, preaching, teaching, and counseling here at the church. I'm also a part-time seminary student. Uh, Before we get into our sermon for today, I invite you to pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your word, your precious word that it is a light and lamp to our feet. Help me to preach. Remove me from being a distraction, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you work in your people today. This is a heavy message on the inspiration sufficiency of Scripture, Lord. This is a direct confrontation against the world, the devil, and his demons in our own flesh. I need your help, Lord. Help your undeserving, unfaithful at times servant. Bless your people and Move through me, Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we're going to look at an important topic. That the Bible is inspired by God in its entirety. And that it is complete for all of life and all of godliness. Throughout history, as it is today, Scripture was often overlooked, minimized, ignored, tampered with, or exchanged to justify the lusts of the culture and the lies of liberal and cultic zealots. And this has resulted in a wholesale abandonment of biblical Christianity. Tomorrow, many in our culture will be celebrating Halloween. Originally a day called All Hallows Eve and meant to remember the martyrs who had died for the faith. But as early Christianity moved throughout Europe, it eventually collided with the pagan culture and with mysticism. And this day of remembrance was exchanged for imagery imagery of demons, death, ghosts, skulls, and the gore. But in God's providence, we have been given another day to remember, which happens to collide every year with Halloween, and that is Reformation Day. On October 31st, 1517, a law student turned monk, Martin Luther, nailed 95 short statements on the door of a Roman Catholic church in Wittenberg, Germany. One of Luther's 95 statements read, quote, The church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ, end quote. These 95 statements confronted the Roman Catholic Church on the fact that they had lost the true gospel of Christ. Instead, they added to the Bible by elevating their traditions 
and church leaders, resulting in a false gospel which damned people to hell. The Roman Catholic Church had lost its way and was beyond repair, where it remains to this very day. With the advent of the printing press and Luther's 95 points, God used Luther to spark the reformation of the church across Europe. Luther translated the Bible from Latin into German, which allowed the common people to read and study the Bible for themselves and to discover eternal biblical truths. The Reformation went on to distinguish itself from the false teaching of the Roman church by summarizing these key biblical truths in five short, concise statements. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. These biblical truths, as found in the pages of Scripture, brought eternal life to its reader. And Luther once said, quote, I have made a covenant with God that he sends me neither visions, dreams, nor even angels. I am well satisfied with the gift of the Holy Scriptures, which give me abundant instruction and in all that I need to know, both for this life and for that which is to come, end quote. And this reformation is not over. It continues to this very day. Now, more than ever, we must boldly and confidently proclaim what the 1689 London Baptist Confession stated, quote, the Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, complete, certain, and infallible, without error, standard, of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience, end quote. We must echo this statement because we're constantly bombarded with information from inside and outside of the church. The culture constantly pushes destructive philosophies contrary to the Bible. And so-called liberal theologians who support the culture are redefining terms and telling us that this chapter or this verse means something entirely different, leading many astray. And then, add to all this the upcoming YouTube or TikTok prophet telling you that she has some new revelation from God, and you have a recipe for confusion and compromise which twists the word of God and sabotages the gospel of Jesus Christ, leading many on the broad way of destruction. And so you and I need the word of God. We need the scriptures to be our only anchor and only guide and final authority to sort out and silence all the voices telling us to add, remove, or edit the Word of God to suit our culture and sinful desires. We must filter everything that we see and hear through the Bible alone. And so I've titled this sermon, It Is Written. Because it is quoted 92 times in the Bible to remind the reader of God's promises and His commands as they are written across the pages of the Bible. In responding to Satan in Matthew 4.4, 4, 
our Lord Jesus Christ quoted the scriptures and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that comes from the mouth of God. Today, I have nothing else to give to you but the complete and all-inspired Word of God, just as Jesus relied upon during His ministry, and so did the church for the past 2,000 years. Truth and eternal life are found in the Holy Scriptures. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand and someone will give you one. I invite you to please stand with me in honor of God's Word, and turn with me to our text for today, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. You may may be seated. By way of context, 2 Timothy was the second letter written by Paul to Timothy. His protege and young pastor on an assignment at the church of Ephesus. Paul who was in prison for preaching the gospel, encouraged and commanded Timothy to remain grounded in God's word and to confront the false teacher of his day that were upsetting Christians and also to confront the rampant ungodliness that was surrounding him. The setting of the Ephesian church was in Asia Minor, the epicenter of the cult of Artemis which celebrated the nature goddess associated with carnal fertility rituals, orgy rites, and religious prostitution. In other words, anything went in Ephesus when it came to sex. The cultural parallels to today are striking. So we can imagine that the message of Christ and of repentance, of godliness, and of one absolute truth was not a popular message. Paul warns Timothy that those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. But such was the narrow path that leads to eternal life. Paul instructed Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to him, which is the word of God, and to speak the truth with gentleness, to patiently endure evil, not to be ashamed, and to rightly handle the word of truth. And so... God instructs and commands us to do the same at this point in time in history. This is a relay and the baton has been passed to us. We must carry the torch. And so today we're going to learn why it is crucial that we first believe that the Bible is God speaking to us and has authority in our lives. And second, that we must proclaim it against false teachings and ungodliness. And third, that we are required to live out the Word of God as we grow in godliness so that we are living examples of God's truth. Which brings me to my first point. We are to believe what is written in the pages of Scripture, that it is God speaking to us. In verse 16, Paul reminds Timothy that all the Scriptures, specifically the Old Testament in Timothy's case, were breathed out by God. 
Paul is making the case that these writings are divine in nature. And in the preceding verse, Paul writes to Timothy that these scriptures, the sacred writings, made Timothy wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Clearly, the Old Testament writings were not mere words on a parchment, but words that when read pointed to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Savior of God's people. What is most telling is the Greek word for breathed out by God. It is theopneustos, a compound word between theos, which means God, and pneuma, which means spirit. This is to say that it is produced by the spirit of God. It's understood as the air that was physically expelled out of the lungs of God. It is the same idea as when God breathed life into the nostrils of Adam in Genesis 2-7, and when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples in John 20, 22. In a similar way, God breathed out his word into the writers of the Old and New Testament. You see, the writers of the New Testament often quoted from the Old Testament to show how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New or as Augustine said, quote, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed, end quote. The Old and New Testaments are in perfect harmony with no contradictions. It is a perfect display of the fact that God cannot lie and is sovereign in control of everything. And so what you have in the 66 books of the Bible are the very living words of God. To put it in perspective, the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by, approx by approximately 40 different men in three separate languages across three separate continents, all without a single error, and it answers all the existential and practical questions of life. And there are many preserved copies of the Old and New Testament manuscripts to this very day. Friends, there is not a single work of antiquity that comes remotely close in comparison to the Bible. And so God moved among the authors of the Bible to write exactly what God wanted them to write. This was not a mere dictation or just listening to some voice telling the authors what to write, but God used the writer's personalities, emotions, experiences, minds, and as such breathed into them, word by word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, one unified message that is miraculously the word of God. We read in 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, that knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And since Scripture is inspired, it is also fully complete. The writer of Hebrews informs us, quote, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Hebrews 1, 
1 to 2. Over the course of the writings of the Old Testament, through visions and symbols and parables in various literary genres, God revealed His plan of redemption in Jesus Christ as recorded in the New Testament. Speaking of the Scriptures, Jesus said in John 5.39 that, quote, In them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. The Bible is inspired by God and complete, and it is the only absolute truth in this world. There are no other religions, philosophies, ideas, thoughts, or opinions that can save you and give you hope. And that truth is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason why Timothy was saved, the reason why you are saved, the reason why anyone could come to the forgiveness of their sins and have eternal life is because of the good news of Jesus Christ recorded for us in the living word of God. You may have heard this saying, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Implying that the gospel is best proclaimed by our actions and love for others instead of using words. Friends, this is the greatest lie promoted in the evangelical church today. If you do not preach the word of God as it is written, no one will be saved. People may think you're a good Christian... But if you do not preach the gospel to them, they will die and go to hell thinking you were a nice person. And we cannot rely on our personal testimonies either. Which, let's be honest, are more often than not filled with emotional stories that speak of Jesus, but do not proclaim the gospel as revealed in the word of God. Romans 10, 17 reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And this faith is not some abstract faith or some energy force, but it is the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all through the Old and New Testament. It is a strong confidence and reliance on the perfect life, on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that in Jesus Christ, quote, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1, 14. Paul reminded the Corinthian church that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We must memorize, we must quote and read scripture as we share our testimonies and interact with other people. Life and death depend on the proclamation of the gospel. God will never save your co-workers, your family members, or your friends if we simply regurgitate testimonies full of personal anecdotes and weak paraphrases of scripture Jesus was clear in John 14:6 quote I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me
Read that to people. Memorize it as God places your friends and your family in your life. Knowing that the word of God is, quote, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, Hebrews 14, 4, 12. It is the word of God, according to Psalm 19, that restores the soul, makes wise the simple, gives joy to the heart and light to the eyes. Only God can save And he has ordained that this salvation comes directly from his word as it is written. You must say with Martin Luther, quote, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Give me scripture, scripture, scripture. Do you hear me? Scripture, end quote. Because the word of God is inspired and complete, if we fail to proclaim God's word as it is written, we tamper with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we deny the inspiration of scripture and its completeness, we might as well be found guilty of denying Jesus Christ. Proverbs 35 to 6 tells us, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. We must hold to the inspiration and totality of the Bible to begin discovering the richness of God's revelation of himself as found in his holy scriptures. Which brings me to my second point, where to proclaim what is written for teaching. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Paul writes in Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And therefore, the Bible is profitable, or it aids, it helps. It is beneficial for teaching, which means instructing, imparting biblical knowledge. These teachings are what theologians call doctrine. It is what God wants us to believe about His Word, about Him, about man and sin, about Christ, redemption, the church, and our future hope. It is studying and applying verse by verse the entire Bible, which will inform our thinking, our beliefs, and our actions, and conform us to the will of God. The reality is this. You don't know what you don't know. It is possible to be a biblically untaught Christian because you are in a unbiblically teaching church which will make you pray to misinterpreting and misapplying the Bible because of that scripture is very clear in 1 Corinthians 12 28 and Ephesians 4 11 that God has gifted man to teach proper Christian doctrine in the church Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 2 
What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so the idea that we don't need church and can just lock ourselves at home with our Bibles is not only foreign to Scripture, but it is dangerous because we will apply our own bias, our own ideas to the Word of God without any accountability. And as a result, we will open ourselves to misinterpreting the Bible and being led astray. I have heard some people say to me that since it says in John, in 1 John 2.27, that, quote, you have no need that anyone should teach you, it means that they do not need to go to church and sit under godly leadership. Such thinking is prevalent in the me, myself, and I Christianity. And it is not only a misinterpretation of that passage, but a wholesale attack on the bride of Christ, the church. The context of the verse I just quoted is not about Christian teaching, but about human wisdom, philosophies, and opinions. Instead, we only need scripture, scripture, scripture. You see, anybody who steps behind this pulpit here should be able to teach you the scriptures, apply them to your life, and show you one clear interpretation. A good church will equip you to know the scripture for yourself because you have the responsibility to test everything you hear. You cannot simply rely on what the pastor is telling you. You must be like the Bereans in the book of Acts who examined the word of God to see if what they were hearing was true. I don't want to give a word of encouragement. If you are a Christian and dwell with the Holy Spirit, you will understand the importance of sitting under good teaching and learning how to interpret the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will bear witness to you that the scriptures are true. This is because of the doctrine of illumination. Nehemiah wrote, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. And Paul said to the Ephesian church, quote, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, end quote. And so you must have a solid grip of the Bible. You must hear the word preached. You must read the Bible for yourself. You must study the Bible and memorize the word of God. And as you sit under good teaching and learn Christian doctrine, you will be able to discern, to identify false teachings that creep into the lives of people, which leads them away from the truth. You will be able to confront false teachings with the Word of God. And so the Bible is also profitable for reproof. The meaning of reproof in our text is to rebuke or refute. It is the expression of strong disapproval. It is to confront false teachings about the Bible, with the Bible and to confront ungodly behavior. Paul is reminding Timothy that the inspired word of God is beneficial to him to confront false teachers and their followers so that the gospel of Christ 
is not blasphemed. Notice that reproof comes after teaching. Because to identify what is false, you must first know what is true. In 2 Timothy 2, 17-18, Paul warned Timothy of Hymenaeus and Philetus, who had departed from the truth of the gospel and were saying that the resurrection had already happened. These two men were influenced by the contemporary Greek culture and philosophy. Essentially, they were saying that there was no physical resurrection and Christians had no resurrection body to look forward to. The resurrection was only spiritual because spirit could not coexist with evil. And what you have as a result was Christians who were already apparently living that resurrected life in the spiritual realm and nothing was sinful to them. Now you can imagine that this false teaching resulted in leading people into more ungodliness and saying that since spirit and matter were opposed to each other and could not coexist, Christians had no choice but to continue doing evil in the body. You see, the problem with these false teachers is they were twisting the gospel of Christ and promoting a different gospel that primarily appeased the sinful desires of the flesh. Scripture was not sufficient for them. They applied Greek philosophy to the scriptures. Bad theology, bad teaching hurts people spiritually. It leads them away from God and further condemns them to hell. You and I are called to use the scriptures to confront false teachers and false teachings. In Ephesians 6, 17, we're told to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the only offensive weapon in Ephesians 6 that allows us to be on the offensive. Friends, we are at war against the devil and his schemes. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. That is the word of God to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10.3 You see, Satan's strategy is to have people question the word of God so that the gospel of Jesus is undermined. It is an old trick of his. The first recorded words of Satan were in Genesis 3.1 when he told Eve, quote, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Most of our attacks do not come from atheists, but from professing Christians and other religions. There are four marks of a cult or false teaching in a false religion. One, they add to the 66 books of the Bible. Two, they subtract from the Trinity and the deity of Christ. Three, they multiply works for salvation. And four, they divide the loyalty of their followers from God to the leader. Without fail, one or all four elements will be present. 
And you see Martin Luther confronted the Roman Catholic Church because they added to the 66 books of the Bible. The church leadership and the council and the traditions were needed to interpret the Bible. They added to faith alone. The official position of the Roman Catholic Church to this very day is that a faith alone in Jesus Christ is not sufficient. A person must pray to Mary and celebrate Mass and venerate the Pope and observe any decrees of the Roman Catholic Church and perform meritorious works and not die with any mortal sins and, and, and. Nowhere in Scripture can you find the Roman Catholic teachings. They are false and they are man-made. There's Mormonism. Those really nice folks that come and knock on your door. The Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints and its founding prophet, Joseph Smith, who was allegedly visited by an angel, telling him that Christianity and the Bible got it all wrong and that he was the chosen one for a new and correct revelation. Mormons have four alleged divine sources. The Bible, the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Most of you don't know this, but you need to know. In Mormonism, Jesus' incarnation, this is what they teach. Jesus' incarnation was the result of a physical relationship between God, the Father, and Mary. And that salvation can be earned by a combination of faith and good works. And once salvation is achieved, you become a god. Or in your own planet, and as a god, have multiple wives and procreate and have other gods who repeat the cycle. Friends, Mormonism is one of the most polytheistic religions in the world that puts to shame Hinduism and Greek mythology. It is foreign to Christianity, and even though Mormons use Christian language, it has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. Isaiah 45.5 clearly says, quote, I am the Lord. And there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. But you see, what I worry most about infiltrating this church here is not Roman Catholicism or Mormonism, but false teachings that are more appealing to us, such as the idea that God still communicates to us through mystical feelings or impressions, or as is most commonly known, words from God. Please hear me out. One of the most dangerous places for a Christian today is on YouTube or TikTok. There is no shortage of self-proclaimed prophets telling you that they have this or that word from God for your life or some revelation about the future or that Christians must perform signs and wonders for God to save people. I appeal to Spurgeon's warning, quote, Take never to impute the vain imaginings of your fancy to God. Never dream that events are revealed to you by heaven. If you feel your tongue itch to talk nonsense, trace it to the devil, not to the Spirit of God. Whatever is to be revealed by the Spirit to any of us is in the Word of God already. He adds nothing to the Bible and never will. Let persons who have revelation of this, that, and the other go to bed and wake up in their senses. I only wish they would follow the advice and no longer insult the Holy Ghost. End quote. 
Revelation has ceased. It has stopped, according to Hebrews 1.1. And as the rich man Lazarus, who was in hell, appeared to Abraham in Luke 16 to send a sign to his brothers so that they repent, Abraham said, quote, They have Moses and the prophets. Scripture. Let them hear them. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Friends, unless we preach only and only Scripture, people will not believe even if you perform signs and wonders. We must be on guard and confront false teachers because the attack, the inspired Word of God, and its sufficiency. And often blaspheme God and mock the gospel of Christ. And just like Paul called out Hymenaeus and Philaters by name, we must expose false teachers by name. We have no shortage of them in the church. People like Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church, Beth Moore, Bill Johnson from Bethel Church. And the list goes on and on. These are the wolves in sheep's clothing. John Calvin said, quote, A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent, end quote. But we must speak the truth in love. I cannot stress that enough. We are commanded to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians 4.15. And what that means is that we don't get angry at people. We don't yell at them or insult them. But we gently and calmly show them through the scriptures that what they believe is wrong. And we must pray for those caught in a lie that their eyes may be opened so that they may renounce their false teaching as we reprove and correct their thinking. We see in verse 16 that the Bible is also profitable for correction. This is the positive side of reproof. Once false teaching is exposed biblically and confronted, it is our duty as Christians to help our hearers to be on the right path. Think of it simply as a person was headed the wrong way and you tripped them by reproving them and they fell to the ground. Well, you don't just leave them there. You go and you pick them up, help them back on their feet and teach them the truth, teach them the Bible, and show them the right direction to go on. But when you correct, you must do it in the same way that Paul commanded in 2 Timothy 2.25. The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in a position, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. You see, our goal in correcting people is not that we are proven right, but that the gospel is proclaimed and that our hearers may turn away from their false teachings or error and believe in Christ. We use the Bible as a teaching tool to teach them the gospel and proper Christian doctrine. We must have our priorities straight. We reprove and correct because we love people who are made in God's image. We want them to have the freedom in Christ that we have. We're not called to be stingy with the gospel, but to be generous with it. 
And so I want to encourage and embolden you to step outside of your comfort zone and start correcting people that are caught in a false teaching or sinful living. Have the same motivation as Spurgeon. Quote, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for, end quote. There is a misconception in the evangelical church that eight out of ten people in the secular world will openly say that they're atheists and deny God. From my experience, I can tell you, eight out of ten people claim to believe in some sort of a God or even call themselves Christians. Yet, they are more wicked and deplorable in their behaviors than some self-proclaimed atheists. Why is that? I believe it is because the North American church and Christians have bought into the lie that loving your neighbor means never correcting them when they twist the Bible to justify their ideologies and sins. Look at the state of the North American church. We have Christians advocating that we need to adopt secular Marxist philosophies such as critical race theory and intersectionality to better understand the lived experiences of people from different cultures, upbringing, and sexual orientations so that we can bring them the gospel without victimizing them. Failing to realize that we are all sinners and guilty before God according to Romans 3 and that for 2,000 years people from all tribes, from all tongues, from all nations, have come to salvation by the preaching of the gospel found in Scripture alone. We don't need secular philosophies or gimmicks to understand humans. We have the Bible. And if you haven't heard about the $100 million campaign going in the U.S. right now, you should be aware of it. It is called He Gets Us. I wouldn't be surprised if it makes it our way here. It's the idea, it's presenting Jesus as, quote, inclusive, real-life activist. The idea that you come as you are, you're gay, that's okay. A criminal or sex worker, no problem. Jesus, he gets you. Quote, he was a human too. You see, the underlying message of he gets us is nothing more than presenting Jesus as a human removed from his deity, who is only an inspiring buddy who relates to your problems and cares a lot about social justice without any call to repentance of sin. And so we must correct the people that God has placed in our lives with the hopes that they will be saved. Or we will soon find them back on the wrong path, promoting an unbiblical thinking which leads to a liberal Christianity that denies the inspiration of the Bible, blasphemes the gospel of Christ, and justifies the sinful living of so many called Christians to the point that we now have in Canada gay and transgender pastors who host drag queen shows for kids Sunday school. We must bear the responsibility to correct unbiblical thinking, but we must do it in love with the goal of equipping our hearers with the truth of Scripture so that they can be instructed in Christian living. Which brings me to my last point, where to live what is written for training. And so the Bible is also profitable for training in righteousness. 
The word training in our context means to instruct, to build up. It is the same idea as we see in Ephesians 6, 4, where fathers are commanded to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is the same, in the same way Paul is telling Timothy that since the Bible is inspired, it is to be used for instruction. It is the positive aspect of reproof and correction. Timothy, and by extension all preachers and teachers of the Bible, are to use the Word of God as a tool to train the congregation in righteousness, which simply means how to live according to God's will. And so, training in righteousness is to train Christians to do right according to what the Bible commands. But you see, this requirement is not only for Timothy and pastors, the purpose of the pastor is to train you, the Christian, to do God's will. And so in turn, you can train others to do the same. It is part of fulfilling the Great Commission to go and make disciples in Matthew 28, 19. But for the pastor and for you to know how to do God's will, you must be saturated in the inspired word of God. Or as Spurgeon once said, may we bleed bibline. Jesus tells in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And since, this comm and since his commandments are found in the word of God, you are to grow in your knowledge and application of the word of God so that you impart that knowledge to other Christians. You, you must first be trained by the word of God before you can train others. In the same way, you would see a visible change in your, in, your, in your physical body if you were to pay attention to what you eat or you exercise. In the same way, you would see a change in your beliefs, in your thoughts, in your actions, and in your speech if you were to study and apply to your life the teachings found in the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, there is no middle ground in Christianity. You are either growing in righteousness or you are not. You are either going from bad to worse or from good to to, bad, uh, to better. That does not mean that you will achieve perfection in this world, far from it, but you will see spiritual fruit in your life according to Galatians 5. It is impossible for a believer in Christ not to have any spiritual fruit at all. There will be evidence in your life of growing in righteousness as the Holy Spirit conforms you in the image of Christ through His written word. You either believe that the, word, that the inspired Word of God is alive and changes you, or you don't. I fear that many in the evangelical church profess that the Bible is enough, but practically they do not believe it. Spurgeon said, quote, The book has wrestled with me. The book has smitten me. The book has comforted me. The book has smiled on me. The book has frowned on me. The book has clasped my hands. The book has warmed my heart. The book weeps with me and sings with me. It whispers to me and it preaches to me. It maps my way and holds up my goings. It is the young man's best companion and is still my morning and evening chaplain, end quote. Do you believe that? Do you see the Bible as the living, inspired word of God that changes you? You must, because the same Holy Spirit that has power to raise you from being spiritually dead and give you life is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you and will help you grow in the knowledge of God's will as found in the Bible. If you call yourself a Christian 
And what I'm telling you is foreign. It sounds strange. You see no fruit in your life. As a matter of fact, you have never seen fruit in your life. I implore you, pick up the Bible. Read the book of John today. Read about Christ. Repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ and become a Christian once and for all. If you can relate to what I am saying and have seen spiritual growth in your life, but maybe now you're going through a spiritual desert or have not grown in a while, continue in pursuing Christ through His Word so that you find completeness and grow in godliness in your walk with Christ. It brings us to our last verse, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In this verse, Paul is telling Timothy that the inspired Word of God, Scripture, is capable to complete, to make Timothy do the work of a pastor and to equip him or enable him to do God's will, which will be made evident in Timothy's life. The Word of God will equip Timothy to lead an exemplary life before the church. And as he preaches the Word of God, the congregation will also be transformed. We read in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You may not be called to leadership in the church, but we as Christians are all disciples of Christ and are to imitate godly leaders and are commanded to live godly lives as our minds are informed and transformed by the Word of God. MacArthur writes, quote, Whether our purpose is to lead men and women to saving faith in Jesus Christ, to teach God's truth to believers, to refute error in the church, to correct and rebuild erring believers, or to train believers to live righteously, our supreme and sufficient resource is God's Word. It not only gives us the information to teach, but also shapes us into living examples of the truth, end quote. There's nothing more damaging to the gospel of Christ than acting hypocritically as Christians. If we call ourselves disciples of Christ and are telling people that the word of God will transform their lives, then we ought to be transformed ourselves. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Please, stop taking God's name in vain in your speech or using crude language or laughing at wicked worldly humor or watching movies and shows that promote pornographic and vile imagery. Stop getting drunk with your coworkers and friends. And this is not just behavior modification, but a change in behavior because of your love for Christ. You should hate your sin not because of its consequences, but because it offends and bring re brings reproach to the one whom you love and the one whom died for you, Christ. Would you use your mother's name in the place of a cuss word or tolerate hearing it if it's in your power to push stop? How much more of God's name? Jesus said in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
Maybe people will see you as awkward and make fun of you for not being like the world. But you have been warned in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Have you counted the costs? And Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16, not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I do not want to impose rules on you, but I want to encourage you that if you are a believer, the Bible says that you will be complete and equipped to do every good work. Be doers of the word, And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We are saved through faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It will produce good works. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead, James 2, 26. We cannot divorce, separate faith and good works. But let me be very, very clear. Only faith in Jesus Christ saves you, not your good works. By being saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ, you will be given the ability to do good works in the power of the Holy Spirit. And good works are are a result of your salvation in Christ, not the other way around. But if you call yourself a Christian and do not have any good works at all, you've never had any good works, then your faith is not grounded in the Word of God and the good news of Christ. It is a dead faith. The Bible is inspired and sufficient to make you capable and skilled in fulfilling the will of God through good works so that you may be able to live out and proclaim the gospel and train others in godliness. Jesus promised that once you are saved, you will never lose your salvation according to John 10, 27, 29. And then once once you have placed your faith in Christ, he will finish the good work he started in you Philippians 1, 6. We must believe that the Word of God is speaking to us today and that the Holy Spirit will guide us in all understanding of Scripture. And we must proclaim the Bible as we confront false teachings and ungodliness and correct those whom God has placed in our lives. So Christian, take heart. As you live out your faith, that you will grow in godliness by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit as you anchor yourself in the all-inspired and all-sufficient Word of God. Let's pray. Now, Lord, I thank you so much for your Word. It is guiding us. It is changing us. Lord, I pray for this congregation that you help them to grow in love for your Word, to grow in love for you, Christ, because in your Word we find forgiveness of sins. In your Word we find eternal life. In your Word we find change And in your word, we're made living examples of the truth. pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.